listen, I'm, I'm a conservative and I've always argued that uh, we should be making as few decisions at the federal uh, level as possible and that we should be moving decisions to the state legislatures around the country. It's something that I believe strongly in. I, I do feel like I should uh, you know, respect the legislature and the decisions that they will make. Hello, everyone. I'm Brandon Lewis, founder of the Tennessee Conservative. Today, Morgan Ortegas, candidate for the United States House of Representatives in the 5th Congressional District, joins us. Ortegas is running for Congress in the 5th District with President Trump's endorsement. She is an active uh, U.S. Navy Reserve officer and a business executive. She hopes to stop Democrats from reversing the Trump-era policies that have really helped our economy. In Trump's Department of State, Morgan worked on the historic Abraham Accords that brought peace deals between Israel, the UAE, Bahrain, and Sudan. She led the U.S. government efforts to push back against sophisticated Chinese, Russian, and Iranian disinformation campaigns and was instrumental in the United States' determination of the Chinese government's genocide against the Uyghurs. Morgan worked her way through public high school and college in an array of jobs including uh, an Applebee's waitress and hostess. Bring back the skillets. That's what I say. In business, Morgan has worked with clients in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. Morgan and her husband, Jonathan, have a daughter, Adina, who is the light of their lives. Morgan, welcome to the program. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor to be on with you. Awesome. I'm still bitter about the Bourbon Street steak and skillets uh, being know, taken away from good. Applebee's. So perhaps we could we could lead some kind of protest. Um, so we recently posted a meme on social media notifying our uh, subscribers that there are presently 12 people not running for Congress in Tennessee's 5th Congressional District. You just got to get those 12 people's votes, the ones that aren't running. So tell people a little bit about uh, what's motivating you to run in this seat in a very crowded field and uh, that has seen a lot of changes in the past few weeks. Well, I think a lot of people should be running. This is democracy. Uh, we are going to take the seat away from the Democrats. Thank God for that. And it's going to be a part of the red wave in November that will fire Nancy Pelosi and, and will bring Republicans back to power in the House. And so I think that uh, Tennesseans, um, they have a, a lot of choices, uh, which is a good thing, right? It's always good for democracy when we compete. And my hope is to meet as many people as possible and to talk to them about the work that I did for President Trump and why I think that I would be best poised to fight for them in Congress. You know, what's really important to me is how President Trump, um, through his America First policies, he stood up for American greatness around the world. And I was able to do that for him. I was his you know, foreign policy voice under Mike Pompeo at the State Department, went to over 50 countries with them. And I saw the benefit, we all saw the benefit of what the world looked like with President Trump uh, in power when you had a strong leader. You didn't see the catastrophes and the disasters that we're seeing around the world today. Uh, you didn't see that under President Trump because he was a strong president who put America first and stood up. Uh, to the people who wanted to wreak havoc in our country and around the world. I think the one thing that President Trump really taught us as well is, is how to fight. Uh, I think he changed the Republican Party for the better in, in that aspect. Um, is, is he really uh, woke all of us up to the fact um, that there is a group of people out there on the left that want to cancel us for everything that we believe and everything that we stand for, and they will do it if we don't fight back. And that's why I think it's so important for us to elect people who have a record, who have experience of 
of fighting back. Listen, I am not a career politician. Um, in fact, I've never run for office before. I think I'm like many moms around this country with young children who have been just motivated and, and totally um, uh, and almost in despair for what we have seen uh, the public sector school unions do to our children, do to our schools, uh, what we have seen uh, throughout the country uh, as it relates to the economy, jobs, inflation. You know, just this morning, inflation was 7.9%. We pulled up to the gas station to get some gas. It was 4.69 over in Brentwood when we were getting gas this morning. Um, this is just stuff that you didn't see under President Trump. And so everybody, I think, running running for this office, everybody wants to fix things, right? Everybody uh, doesn't want this to happen. But what I think is unique about me and what's required is somebody who's actually worked with President Trump to make this country great again, uh, not only domestically, but abroad. And that's certainly what I'm going to do uh, in this race. I'm going to put our conservative values first. I think with me, you can get a real pro-life conservative woman in this race that we so desperately need. Well, I think much of that is well said, and I do agree there's a groundswell of activists, uh, women in particular, mothers, grandmothers that were never politically active. Things finally got bad enough to shake people uh, from their uh, apolitical stupor, and I'm glad to see them engaged in, in Tennessee at the state level. We certainly need it uh, because the, the grassroots and, and, and the establishment are not aligned. Go to TennesseeConservativeNews.com and hit that red support button. When you do that, we will send you a proud Tennessee conservative bumper sticker. Also, we will send you a Don't California My Tennessee bumper sticker, a directory of your state uh, officials in the House and the Senate, that puppy right there. And if you should give $50 or more, you will get this proud Tennessee conservative tumbler. What are your top five areas of focus? When you get to Washington, D.C., there's so many things that, that need to be fixed. Uh, in our nation uh, and in our state, but there's only so much time and you're one out of a whole gaggle of people up there. Uh, it is quite different from being in an executive role. Uh, so what are your top uh, five areas of focus when you get to DC? I think what I would argue you know, to Tennesseans is yes, I would be one of hundreds, right? And we know that and, and whoever wins a seat will be a freshman member. But I think that I have the unique ability to be a player on day one because people know my record of uh, working with President Trump. I was in the trenches with him, Mike Pompeo, Rick Grinnell, Robert O'Brien. You can go through the list of President uh, Trump's top national security team who endorsed me. Um, and they did that because, you know, they know that I know how to fight. And, and I think that that's a key differentiator is I'm not going to go to Washington and be a backbencher. Uh, I'm going to be at the front of, of all of these major issues at all of these major uh, fights. And, and I know how to do it because I've done it under, under President Trump. Now, when you talk about key policy priorities, my friend, there's so much wrong with the world. It's hard to narrow it all down. We have so much to do. I, I think we have to principally start at our own southern border. Uh, that is a southern border that you would see in a failed state, right? And this is not something, and I've been in and out of a lot of war zones and a lot of war-torn countries. That's the kind of fails, that's the kind of uh, border you see in a failed state, not something that you should see in one of the world's uh, you know, superpowers. It's, it's not only is an embarrassment, it's really dangerous to our own national security. Uh, we've got people from uh, multiple countries, you know, not just Mexico or the Northern Triangle countries. Uh, we have, uh, un, you know, uh, people from at least, I think, over 100 different nations that have come through the border of the last statistic that I saw. Um, that is a national security threat. We don't know. We, we do not have the ability to properly vet these people. Um, and, and so I'm worried about it from a national security perspective. 
I'm also incredibly worried about the drugs that uh, go through this broken border. You know, the fentanyl is one of the major drugs going through, and that is the number one killer of our young people in this country. I, I mean, how this is not something that Biden and his team are not talking about every day is beyond me. Our young people are dying from fentanyl. That is a direct result of his border that he left unsecure. We didn't do it in the Trump administration. You know, he was building the wall at the State Department under Mike Pompeo, our team. We were negotiating the Remain in Mexico policy, the asylum cooperation agreements that secured that border. Um, so it can be done. I know, I was there. I was a part of the team that did it. Uh, and, and finally, just from a humanitarian perspective, it is inhumane what we are allowing to happen at our southern border. Uh, there's a lot of human rights issues, human trafficking. Uh, think about the number of stories that we read about young women, you know, teenage girls that are raped multiple times on the way to the border by a tra trafficker. I mean, you're telling me that that situation is humane? That what Biden is allowing to happen because these you know young people think that they can just come here and get in, and yet they're being uh, you know destroyed physically and emotionally on the way here. That's somehow humane. I don't buy that. So I think that's got to be our top priority. As somebody who spent a long career in national security, um, it's incredibly important to me. Uh, secondly, listen. Just this morning, as we mentioned earlier. It's got to be about uh, the economy. 7.9% uh, inflation, 6.6 .6, uh, as it relates to just gasoline. Uh, this is, you know, unaffordable. I, I saw I saw a statistic that the price of gasoline in California uh, per gallon is higher than the hourly minimum wage. You know, how are people how are people supposed to afford a full cart of groceries and a full tank of gas? Makes absolutely, you know, no sense to me. Um, this inflation is uh, the highest in 40 years. I think the the last record was set in January 1982, which is just a few months before I was born. Um, so that's pretty catastrophic. So we've got to have people that will stand up to that. And part of that, by the way, I mean, the biggest push that we need to do as a party is getting us back to where President Trump had us as energy independent. We cannot be relying on Russian, uh, what this administration is talking about, or potentially Iranian, Venezuelan, uh, you know, oil. Um, are, are, they are so obsessively focused on climate change, it's their religion, right? And, and they're so obsessively focused on it as a religion um, that they exclude all the you know possible realities of you know drilling more here at home, opening up those leases, opening up that exploration. You know when Biden says that it is um, that it is Putin's fault that the price of gas is what it is today, that's an outright lie. The numbers that were released this morning are from February before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So no one should believe the lie. Uh, that gas prices are Putin's are Putin's fault. The gas prices are a direct result of Joe Biden and his team's uh, failed leadership. Um, and, and again, I take it back to the border. It is a national security risk for us uh, that we are not energy independent and that we cannot produce our own energy here at home. You would have thought that we would all have learned that lesson before. Clearly, we haven't. So those are, I think, are, are really top two. Um, for the top, you know, I think for number three, there's probably like three or four different issues that are incredibly important to me that, you know, it's hard to prioritize, uh, prioritize them all. As somebody who has a long national security background, uh, obviously I look around the world and I, I, and I see a catastrophe. Listen, I was a part of Abraham Accords uh, under President Trump. We handed to the Biden administration, when we were in power, uh, we negotiated the Abraham Accords, which are the first deals between Israel and Arab states, four of them, first peace deals in 26 years. 
it, it, he should win a Nobel Prize for that. I mean, it, it's amazing uh, what we were able to accomplish. It's quite frankly something that I didn't even know that we could accomplish in our lifetime. So what happens? We have peace because President Trump uh, punished our enemies, maximum economic pressure campaign on Iran, and rewarded our friends and allies. And we stood by them. And that was so important. And so we handed the Abraham Accords over to Biden. He gets in. Within three months, uh, Hamas is attacking Israel. Within seven months, Kabul has fallen to the Taliban with 13 dead Americans as a direct result of his failed and botched uh, pullout from Afghanistan. And within a year, we see a ground war in Europe with Russia uh, attacking and invading Ukraine. All of these things did not happen under President Trump's watch, even though we were constantly told that they were going to. They didn't happen under him. So, so I think the national security bucket is really important to me. Also, this, um, this cancel culture thing, I think, is, and it encompasses a lot of different buckets. I'll tell you why I think it's really important, uh, because no matter what you're looking at, you know, whether it's how treat kids are being treated in school uh, with masks and CRT and the closing of schools, and suddenly we're in an election year and science has changed and none of us have to wear masks anymore, right, supposedly. You know, what we have done to our children, especially children that come from, you know, lower economic, uh, you know, backgrounds, um, they don't have, this is why I'm such a big believer in school choice, because those parents, you know, when their public school closed, you know, what ability did they, did they have? Like, especially if you were a single mom, you couldn't afford a tutor, you know, to, to come in and, and make sure your child stayed up. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? That's something that only the elite could afford. And so I think that we are going to be paying for a generation, I mean, for a generation for what we've done to our children over the past two years. It's going to have reverberating consequences um, and, and people need to be held accountable. But I, I put what's gone on with our schools under the cancel culture umbrella, because I think that there is a broader effort um, to stamp out and to silence anyone who doesn't agree with the way that you think or feel. You know, this is something, it's something really simple, but like Airbnb, I think it was Airbnb said that they were not gonna allow Michelle Malkin and her husband to, to rent because they don't agree with them politically. Like, is that really where we are, uh, you know, as a country? If, if that's where we're headed, I can tell you, I spent a lot of time speaking out on the genocide in China, uh, the forced abortions and the forced sterilizations of women there. You know, that's what happens when you have a country who doesn't value life, who doesn't value freedom of speech, who doesn't value individual freedom. And we have to stand up and fight. Like. I, I've never been, I'm not a politician, but I've never run for office before. And I've always thought, oh no, that won't be me. That's not my thing. Um, but then I suddenly realized, you know, I can't sit around and wait uh, and hope that President Trump runs again in 24. I certainly hope he does, but I can't sit around and wait for that. I have to get in the fight now. And so what I would encourage all of our viewers, um, you know, maybe you decide to throw your hat in the ring like so many people are, especially if you're a mom, right? For school board or for mayor, or for, or for whatever the, the local you know, position is, Congress, whatever it may be, I think that we need an army of conservative moms that are tired of what's happening in this country, that are pissed off at what they're doing to our kids, and that are willing to stand up and fight and say, not me, not on my watch. Well, I think those are good priorities. And interestingly enough, as a segue into this next question, the, the same folks that are trying to disqualify you as a candidate are also the people that are currently sitting in committees and subcommittees up in Nashville, and they have recently uh, voted down illegal immigration reforms that would make our uh, state safer. Uh, they have voted down in these committees and subcommittees medical freedom bills 
Uh, and, and for 18 months, they hid behind our governor's uh, skirt instead of standing up to the constitutional rights of our people. And when it comes to school choice, we just had a couple of school choice bills killed by these conservative Republicans that are also running this legislation that would disqualify you. So let's get right into that. Uh, you're facing a unique situation in Tennessee as it relates to your ability uh, to be on the ballot as a Republican. Now, there are the party rules, and you have to negotiate that yourself. That's campaigning 101 with the bona fide status. You may have to go in through uh, in front of the SEC committee. Hopefully, they pass you. Uh, but then you've got this recent legislation that's conformed to the Senate now uh, that requires three uh, years of residency. Mm -hmm. There may be legal challenges. Who knows if the governor will sign it or not? Uh, but it does make for a complex uh, position when you're trying to run for office. In my opinion, uh, I can see that it is it, it may be a good rule to pass. Uh, I can understand why people would want somebody to be in their state for a long time. I just now feel like a Tennessean, and I've been here 20 years. I felt like an Alabamian in, until recently. Uh, but at the same time, I do not believe that you should change the rules in the middle of the game, and I think it is a lot of home cooking. It's a bad look. And it looks like trading favors, uh, which is a lot of what a lot of uh, Republican primary voters think. So with all that having been said, how would you address this issue to make sure that your campaign can be viable? Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to address that. I don't think I have yet. So you're breaking news here, my friend. Um, so first of all, as it relates to the party rules, I'm a lifelong Republican. I voted in every election that I've been uh, able to vote in. My first election that I voted in was uh, year 2000. I just turned uh, 18 in that summer, and I was a Florida resident at the time I was going to college. So what, a, what an important lesson for me to learn as a young person about just how much every vote uh, really does count. So that really helped uh, shape me as a young person on, on how important my voting uh, history and, and how important it is to vote in every election that you can. Um, and I'm certainly very proud uh, to, to be a lifelong Republican. As it relates to the legislature, listen, I'm, I'm a conservative and I've always argued that uh, we should be making as few decisions at the federal uh, level as possible and that we should be moving decisions to the state legislatures around the country. It's something that I believe strongly in. So I've tried to be really respectful um, and not speak out, uh, you know, because I, I do feel like I should, uh, you know, respect the legislature and the decisions that they will make. Um, I guess what I would say, and again, this is really my first time speaking out on, on an, an interview like this, so I appreciate the opportunity you've given me. What I'd say to the voters of, of Tennessee is give me the chance, get to know me. Um, there's going to be, a, as you said, there's a lot of people running, there's going to be more people getting in. There's going to be a really competitive uh, primary in August, and I'd like the chance to be on the ballot and, and to be a part of it. I, I think that I've, I've earned that through um, my lifelong status as a Republican, but also my work for President Trump and, and my commitment to raise my family here um, and to be a part of here and the businesses that I've started here in Tennessee that are providing, by the way, new high paying jobs uh, here in Tennessee. So I just want the chance to compete uh, on, on an even playing field, to compete with everybody else, to make my case. I don't think anybody is owed anything, right? Yeah, you know, I don't know how how many, I don't care how many offices you've ran for, how many times you've been in elected office. None of us are owed anyone's vote. You know, it is a sacred right to vote. And I approach it very humbly, very sincerely. Um, and I would make the case to the voters of, let me get to know me. And I hope that you can learn why President Trump had the faith in me to endorse me. Let me tell you about what I did for him. You know, I've seen some people say, oh, he got bad advice. Well, that's silly. He didn't need, he knows me. Well, I worked for him. I talked to him one-on-one -on -one about this. There was no one else in the room. We know each other. I fought for him for a long time. We worked for him for a long time. 
And so what I'd like is just to be given the opportunity um, for people to know me and to hear why somebody who is not a career politician, not a part of any of this, but why somebody like me would get motivated to throw um, my hat in the ring. I, I can tell you, you know, whenever I raise my hand to, uh, to be an officer, to be commissioned in the Navy Reserve, when I raise my hand in the Trump administration, when I raise my hand to work in national security and intelligence all those years, no one asked me my residency. They just knew that I was raising my hand to serve my country. So no matter what happens, I will be humble and respectful of the local decisions that are made here. Um, at the same time, I, I, of course, would like to be given the opportunity to compete, you know, fair and square. Um, and I'd also just like to say, no matter what, I'm a conservative Republican. I'm going to fight for this state. I'm going to fight for my country like I always have and I always will. Well, I will put words in your mouth where you can't. Um, I think that Tennesseans uh, deserve the right to decide if you would or would not be a good candidate. I don't have much of a dog in this hunt. There's a lot of people running that I think would do a good job. But I do think the legislature is, um, I think it's a bad look. And I think that they are removing choices uh, for Tennessee residents. I wish that they would be as, in, uh, be as enthusiastic and as quick to act on school choice and illegal immigration as they have disqualifying you as a candidate. If they could summon up that courage and energy, that would be fantastic. If our viewers want to learn more about your campaign, where would they go? So they would go to morganortegas.com. That's M-O-R-G-A-N-O-R-T-A-G-U-S.com. And all my social media handles are also at Morgan Ortegas. Okay. Well, we enjoyed having you on the program. It's been a privilege. Uh, good luck to you on the campaign trail. And for those of you in our listening audience, if you want to see more interviews like this, please go to tennesseeconservativenews.com or follow us on social media and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get them. Until next time, I'm Brandon Lewis. Signing off.